entire chapter, but we're going to focus this morning on just a handful of verses in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Now, you're probably aware the Apostle Paul, I don't think he understands what a simple sentence is. He, he loves his run-on sentences. And in and, and verses 9 through 14, in the original, it's actually one sentence. I think he gets excited when he prays and he just, he just starts rattling things off or when he writes. The Apostle Paul had never been to this church, it, it would seem. It's not a church that he began. We, we notice in verse 7 that they had learned the gospel from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. It's almost like Paul sent Epaphras and says, I can't get there, but would you go to that city and would you proclaim the gospel? In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So Paul had not seen these people. He had caught word about these people. He knew the stories about these people. He was actually in touch with these people, but it was all secondhand. And yet we read, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. That, that cracks me up. That, that, to me, that's astounding. In Thessalonica, we, we talked about how Paul actually lifted individuals' names before the, before the Lord, and he, and he prayed for them specifically. And if you think of Paul, he's now at the end of his life, and he's thinking back through the churches that he has planted. He's probably uh, attached by chains to, another, to a Roman guard, not in the best of conditions, and he is praying for these churches, and he's lifting the names of people, and in this case, he hasn't even been there. And he's praying for them. And not just a simple, Lord, would you take care of the people and call us a but very specifically he prays for them. I want this to sink in. Not only should we pause and look at the content of Paul's prayers, but we should look at how Paul prays. He's praying without ceasing. He's continuously praying. He's constantly lifting up people that he knows and that he hasn't met yet. He's concerned for them. There's this incredible love that the Apostle Paul has for the church. And I think the challenge is for us to think the same way. How do we pray for one another? Over the summer, we have two congregations that are gathered together. And my challenge for us is not only that we reach out across the aisle and shake each other's hand and say, hey, how are you doing, and get to know each other that way, but my challenge, I think, from Scripture is that we begin to pray for each other like this. Couldn't you imagine the beauty of two churches praying for each other? And not just praying for each other's health, but praying that, we would, that our love would abound more and more. Apostle Paul models prayer. The Apostle Paul teaches us how to pray. In Colossians, this one sentence in the original, uh, I think Paul's doing three things. Uh, first off, I want you to notice that Paul, uh, we hear Paul's request. It's actually a fairly simple request. It's found in verse 9. 
He says, and so from the day we heard, since we heard this report about who you are and what you've done and how you received the gospel, since that point, I haven't stopped praying. We haven't stopped praying. So it's not only him, but Timothy as well. We haven't stopped praying for you. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. This is how he prays. I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, typically when we think of the, the will of God, we are usually thinking in our context, in our culture, what kind of job should I take? Or who should I get married to? And, and those things aren't bad, but, but, but when Scripture talks about the will of God, it's like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. The will of God is saying, God saying, this is how I want you to live. These are the attitudes I want you to have. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I hope that you be filled with the knowledge of God's will for your life. The knowledge of God's will, Romans chapter 12. You've probably heard this. I'll, I'll, I'll read it again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What's the context there? What is the will of God? That our lives are actually in conformity to who God is and to who Christ is rather than to the, the, the ways of the world. And so Paul, when he's praying for this church that he has never met, he says, you know what, I'm praying that you would know God, you know His will. How you ought to live, how you ought to think. That's my prayer for you. Now, go a little further in verse 9. He says that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Literally, wisdom and understanding that comes from the Spirit of God. I think what he's saying is, is that, that not only am I praying for that you would know God's will, that you'd have a list in your head, this is how I should live, this is how I should think, this is how I should act. The Apostle Paul is also praying that you'd have wisdom. Uh, the, the idea of um, discerning how to put it in practice. Not only that, but you, you would get, have understanding from the Spirit. Literally, that you would be able to discern what is true and what is not true. Now, as we walk through this book, you're going to begin to realize, if you read through this book, that these people were, were struggling with all kinds of things. They were struggling with uh, um, verse 8 of chapter 2, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. They were struggling with their thinking. And Paul's praying that they're understanding, that they would understand the truth. These were people that were struggling with some of the Greek mythology that was going on in the world, and they were, they were struggling with some of the Jewish traditions. And they were wondering... Well, we should, we, should, we should abide by these regulations as well. And Paul's praying, I hope that you have the understanding to know what is true and what isn't, and you'd have the discernment to be able to put into practice what is true, and you would know God's will. That's how he prays.
would be like if I would to pray for you? Lord, I pray that as, they, as, as, as these people are listening to the news or as they're listening to the very pundits of the news, so that they would understand what is truth and what isn't. Let me ask you a question. If, if, uh, if, if, if you turn on um, a podcast and you're listening to Ben Shapiro, let's say, how do you know what he's saying is true and what isn't? What's your plumb line? He very clearly says he doesn't come from a Christian perspective, so what's your plumb line? And what about on the other side politically? If, if you're listening to Michelle Obama, what's your plumb line to understand what's true and what isn't? The Apostle Paul is not simply saying uh, embrace everything, but he's, he's saying I'm praying that you would have an understanding to know what is true and what isn't true. I'm praying that you would be able to discern that and then you would be able to apply the truth. I'm praying that you would know God's will, not Shapiro's will. Well, we can put it on another platform. Another, what about uh, John MacArthur and um, uh, Benny Hinn? How do, what, how, if you're listening to them, how do you know what's true and what's not true? Or for, for, how do you know what Elroy Senator says on a Sunday morning is true? Apostle Paul is praying that you may have understanding. That's how Paul prays for this church. And then, not only does he pray that way, I think what's significant, let's, let, let me just pause. Uh, before, I, before I move on, uh, notice something. Paul prays that the church would get this knowledge from God. He admits that this knowledge is from the Spirit. Now, Paul will continue on, and he will actually unpack who Jesus Christ is. So it's not that he's against telling them. The problem in my, in my world, in my brain often, is I think if I, can just, if I can just clearly articulate the message, then people will understand the truth. But Paul understands something different. You need to articulate the message. You need to articulate truth, but you also need to pray that God would help them understand that truth. And so prayer and the Word are essential. And so when you're thinking of your children, when you're thinking of your grandchildren, when you're thinking of your brother or your sister, or when you're thinking of the people in the church family, it's like, okay, yeah, we need to hear God's Word preached, but we also need to pray for each other that we understand it and that we can apply it. This, um, this wisdom and understanding, actually, if you go to uh, uh, the book of Isaiah, beautifully, um, Isaiah is predicting Christ, and he's looking ahead to Jesus in, in Isaiah 11. And he's talking about the stump of Jesse, this, this Jesus. And he says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah is looking ahead to Jesus and saying, Jesus will have the spirit of wisdom and understanding in him. Paul now writes to the church at Colossae in chapter 2, verse 3, in whom, Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So where is this wisdom and understanding going to come from? Jesus. 
And so in order to understand this, we need to know the Word, but we also need to pray for each other that we'd understand the Word. That's bottom line. That's how Paul prays for this church. And he does that without ceasing. But why does he pray that way? Look at verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. He says, the reason I pray this way is that you would walk, that you would live in such a way that it would be pleasing to the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul actually prays, says something very similar. He says that you would walk in a manner that is worthy to the kingdom of God. But here he actually makes it very personal. When I was a kid, teenager, I remember, I remember coming home incredibly late. I wasn't doing anything typically wrong, but I, I never picked up the phone and gave mom a call. And so my mom, being my mom, she sat, was sitting in her chair in the dark as I came up the stairs to put the key away, and she was in tears. I didn't catch on right away, but she was in tears because this was back before we had cell phones and all that good stuff, but we, sti- we did have this thing called a pay phone, and I could have used one to call home and say, Mom, this is where I'm at didn't and when I realized that mom was worried and that the tears were flowing I I was just like it broke my heart that I that I had that that I had kind of crushed her that I that had worried her that I had bothered her that I had not pleased her the apostle Paul says I pray this way so that you at the church of Colossae would please your Lord would live in a way that is pleasing to God He's not talking here that, that, that the way they live actually makes them right with God. He's just saying that, that they would live in a way that is actually the way they ought to live. It would be pleasing to the Lord. I love that. Fully pleasing to Him. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. If we don't know the truth, if we don't know what His will is, if we don't have the wisdom to be able to to apply it, how can we walk in a manner that's worthy to the Lord? How can we be fully pleasing to Him? So Paul prays this way with that intent. But just in case we don't quite understand what it means to to walk in a way that's fully pleasing to the Lord, Paul gives us four characteristics of what this would look like. He gives us four participles that that unpack what it means to to follow and walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. The first one is found in verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work. Paul says, the reason I pray for you in this way is so that you would live a life that is fully pleasing to God. And and one of the ways that's going to be evident is that in, in doing good things that you'll be growing and increasing in good doing good works. That it's noticeable. That when when your neighbor meets you and greets you and gets to know you, they they recognize that this is a person that that is overflowing with love for one another and it's it's evident in the way they live their life. In the good deeds that they do and pass on and share and live and how how they act and behave. Paul's saying, man, I am praying that you would grow. You'd bear fruit. 
in these good deeds, in every good work. Now, earlier he's thanking God because he says that's what's actually happen, happening in their lives, but he says, I'm praying that that happens more and more and more and more. As Christians, we should never get, uh, get satisfied with the status quo. care how old we are. The people of God, with the Spirit of God in us, understanding the Word of God, we should be growing in, in good works, others-oriented. Paul prays that way so that they will grow that way. But he, he, he carries on and increasing in the knowledge of God. He says, not only do I want you to see you grow in good, good deeds, uh, being fruitful in that way, but I want you to grow in the knowledge of God. People, almost every letter that the Apostle Paul writes, he's correcting the people of God in some way. He's saying, you got this right, I'm thankful for this, but you need to grow in this way. This letter's no different. He's helping them understand who Christ is. There, there's something missing. And so in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament. He unpacks for us who Jesus is. He wants them to grow in their knowledge of God. That's why we need to be a people of the book. We need to be a people who are under the book. We're, we're continually submitting to the book. But in order to do that, we need to read the book. And then as we read the book, we need to allow it to shape our prayer life. We need to allow it to shape our, our thoughts. We need to allow it to shape our desires. Growing in that knowledge of God. Now, he goes on. He goes on. He carries on. He doesn't just stop there. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. He says, the reason I pray this way is not only that you bear fruit, not only that you grow in the knowledge of God, but that you would be strengthened with the power of God. In that passage I read to the kids, Ephesians, probably written at the same time as uh, that uh, Paul wrote this, Paul prays for the, the, the people in, in Ephesus, and he says, he says, that, he, that their eyes might be open, that they'd know the hope to his calling, and that they would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and finally, that they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So this is Jesus. He's going to actually unpack who Jesus is in, in, in the letter to Colossians. He's the, he's the one who created all things. He's the one who overcame death and, and was raised from the dead. That's power. I don't know if there's a bit bigger picture or better illustration of power than that. And the Apostle Paul says, I'm praying that you'd be strengthened with that power. Now typically, when we in the church, in, in our culture, think of God's power working through us, we think, ah, healing the sick, raising the dead, doing great things for God. But listen how, why Paul prays that they would be strengthened with power. Verse 11, 
for all endurance and patience with joy. The reason they need power is that they can walk through this life and the trials of this life and continue in following the Lord through all of it. Sometimes we have this picture of the Apostle Paul that, that Paul, uh, uh, he, he walked through life and he, and he walked into a town and he healed and he healed and he raised the dead and he spoke something and 5,000 people were coming to his church and we got this picture of grandeur. Now, in some places, there was great success. Ephesus, the church grew to such an extent that there was problems in that church, but it grew to such an extent that it affected the economy of that city. But almost in every place that Paul went, what happens? A few people in a home follow him. More people reject him. He's thrown in prison. Then he's kicked out of town. When the Apostle Paul's writing this letter, it's near the end of his life, and where is he? He's in prison because he's proclaiming the gospel. It's not like the masses in Rome were coming to follow Jesus. It's, it's, it's like the, the other prisoners and the guards were coming to follow Jesus. In fact, in, in 2 Timothy, at the very end of his life, he says, everybody's left me. I'm, I'm, I'm all alone. What Paul's praying for, that they would be strengthened with the power of Christ, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, he's saying, I'm praying this way so that when you go through the trials of life, when you get that phone call and it's cancer, when you, when you, when you get that um, call and you lost your job, when, when, when somebody who you love rejects you or turns their back on you, or you don't get that promotion you thought you deserved, the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm praying that you would know the will of God, that you would have wisdom and that you would have understanding to such extent so that even in those moments you can walk in a way, live in a way. It would show that you were, you were a person pleasing the Lord. You don't turn to the right or the left. You continue to follow Him no matter what. And I can't do that. I need the power of God to do that. To, to me, it's far more impressive to, to see someone following Jesus through incredible trials than it is to see someone follow Jesus when everything's going right. That's where I need the power. I think it's N.T. Wright when he's unpacking this passage. Uh, he, he, he says that these two words, um, endurance and patience, patience is actually dealing with troubled people. Endurance is dealing with trials. I don't know if he's right, but there, there's something there. I need the power of Christ in order to, 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 to live that way. And so Paul's saying, this is how I pray for you, that you would be filled, you, you have the knowledge of God's will, in all wisdom and understanding, so that you might live a life that's fully pleasing to the God, so that you would grow in, in these good deeds, that you would, that you would, uh, that, that you'd be strengthened with that power, even in the difficulties. Now, Paul doesn't stop there. There's a fourth thing that he does in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. 
What is a, what is a, what is a walk that's, that's worthy of the Lord? What is a walk that is pleasing to him? It's a walk where we're constantly saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for what you've blessed me with. Thank you for what you've given to me. But I think the Apostle Paul zeroes in on what we should ultimately be thankful for. Who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in, in, in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Yes, be thankful for your house. Yes, be thankful for the food in front of you. Yes, be thankful for the children that the Lord has blessed you with. Yes, be thankful for, 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 for the job that you have. Be thankful for those things, absolutely. But the Apostle Paul continually over and over and over and over again, he's thanking God for... God, once I was in darkness and now I'm in the kingdom of your beloved son. Once I was under your wrath, deserving eternal judgment, and now I've been redeemed and purchased by the blood of Christ and, 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 and headed for heaven. Lord, once I didn't know you, now I know you. Once I was unforgiven, now I'm forgiven. Thank you. A life that is fully pleasing to the Lord is a, is a life that is constantly constantly a life of gratitude and so community grace calgary community reform church visitors with that in mind let's pray lord jesus would you fill us with the knowledge of your will May it become incredibly clear with each passing day as we grow in you. May, we, may you fill us with your wisdom and, and your understanding. May we know what is true. And would we know how to apply it? Would we know what your will is? And regardless of what life throws at us and regardless of who we're listening to, Lord, we can decipher what is true and we can live in the manner that's proper and right. Lord, I pray that we'd be a people that when you look upon us, that you would walk among us as in the churches of Revelation, that you would, be, you would say, I am pleased with these people. Lord, would you be able to say of us that they're growing the fruit of their good, just like just overwhelmed in good deeds, Lord. That you would see that and, and be pleased. Father, would we'd be a people that would uh, grow in our knowledge of you. Would we, be, would we be about doctrine, not only about doing good things, but about truth? And you would say, yes, these people are growing in, in understanding who I am and what I've done. And Father, I pray. I pray for our congregations. I pray for the church in this, in this nation, in this city. Lord, I pray that we'd be a people that are thankful. Incredibly thankful. And Father, I pray that we'd be a people of strength. Not our own strength, not our own power. We are not strong on our own. But we'd be a people who would endure to the end. We'd keep our eyes focused on Jesus. We would be faithful even through the trials. Lord, would you help us so at the end of our life we could look back and you would look back and say, well done. 
your lives be, be evident, there be endurance and patience. And God, would it be such a, of such magnitude that, that your power would be so obvious that, that we would go through those things with joy? I pray that for every individual in this room. I pray that for, for me. Pray that for our congregations. We ask these things not because we deserve them, but in the name of Jesus, your only Son. Amen. Megan makes her way up here. We're going to close our service as we always do with communion. And so if you're a follower of Christ, if there's been a time and a place when you've said, yeah, I'm, I'm rebellious and, I need, and I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and you've put your trust and your confidence in Jesus, you're welcome to join us at the table. Church has been doing this for 2,000 years and uh, it's, it's a reminder to stop and, and think about what God has done for us, to remember it, to give Him thanks, but also look ahead. Someday we will, we will sit with Him at that marriage supper of the Lamb and, and this is just a little foretaste of that. Now, the scriptures are also incredibly clear as these scriptures warn us that we aren't supposed to just walk up and this is not just some ritual that we do, but we need to be careful that as we come here that we're, that we're prepared. The Apostle Paul says, whoever eats the bread and drinks a cup in, a, in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. And so let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and some have died. That's str- those are strong words. So I, it, it, We can do this and it becomes a habit. I don't want it to become a habit. The Lord doesn't want it to become a habit. If there's something in, in if there's someone that you hold something against, go take care of it. Resolve it, and then take part. Because the warning is great. Megan, would you lead us in song? Andrew, would you come and and help serve with me? And um, come and join us. Please stand.